Niños en el arco, la defensa es colosal González, Orlando, La Torre, Nicolás Fuentes y Chumpitas Chalemí, Frin y Cubillas y el gran Perico León Bailón y Alberto Gallardo completan la Welcome back to the Crudo World Podcast uh, I'm your host Brian Birdie and we're back Let's get going, uh, let's just get straight into it So first, uh, Peter Galindo, our lovely co-host, is back at last yeah, I basically had the uh, bubonic plague for like a month and I was incapacitated for a long time, but I am now back and I'm happy to be back. So thank you. All right. And joining us again from the last part, uh, we have Kevin Montalvan. How are you, Kevin? Hey, guys. How's it going? All right. First of all, the Copa America draw. So uh, yeah, Peru's in a group of Brazil again, uh, Venezuela and Bolivia, almost identical to our 2015 group just without Colombia. Uh, initial thoughts, I'll let Kevin go first. What are your initial thoughts on this group? So, I had that good feeling we were going to get Brazil. They're like, <laughs> we keep getting them. <laughs> it's like fate, fate draws us together. <laughs> and, and then aside from that, um, you know, it's, it's good to to face Venezuela again. They were they were a decent side when we faced them in 2015, Copa America, and, and been frustrating the whole eliminatorias on the way to, to the World Cup. I was just going to throw in Bolivia, and then they're also a frustrating side. We'll see how they come out. All right, uh, Peter, what are your thoughts on this group uh, overall? Your initial thoughts, rather. Yeah, much like Kevin and I think every other Peruvian watching, I think getting Brazil was inevitable, given how the last couple of tournaments have gone, the last couple of draws have gone. And I was thinking to myself beforehand, I think Peru will be happy with Brazil, as long as they avoid Japan in pot three. And that's exactly what happened. They got Venezuela and then obviously Bolivia out of pot four. And by far and away, this is, at least on paper, the easiest group of the three. Um, I mean, group C looks incredibly difficult. I mean, any you could see any of those teams really missing out on the quarterfinals. Venezuela could be tricky, as Kevin mentioned, because, I mean, we saw how they really frustrated Peru during the qualifiers and, and in the Copa America, really it's it, it's not like a, a, a flat out easy draw for Peru, especially because given the fact that we suffer all the time, it's probably not going to be very straightforward, but it does give Peru a very good chance of at least getting into the quarterfinals as a runner up, which would line us up to finish or face, I believe it would be either Argentina, Colombia or Paraguay, whoever finishes second in group B. But then that leads to a potential semifinal against Brazil, and by then it could be over. We'll see. But uh, obviously with the tournament being five months away, it's difficult to predict these things. But certainly on the surface, this was a really great situation for Peru, which I think we seldom kind of see. Yeah, absolutely. I think that this is definitely the easiest group of the three. I agree with you on uh, Group C, especially because uh, Ecuador is always our black sheep. Like they, they, always, they always find a way to beat us. I mean, I know we have a good record against them in the Gareca era, you gotta remember before that, and even the last friendly, their style does not comfort us. Like them in Colombia, and uh, yeah, if we do beat Ecuador, it's just because of the better quality, etc. But they they do know how to beat us. They, that's 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 the point I'm trying to make. And it's always in everything. Ecuador and Colombia always beat us in everything, not just not just at senior level. So um, I think that uh, getting Brazil is very good for us because. Uh, uh, we're obviously going to lose that game. I mean, Brazil is, Brazil, is, Brazil is going to win the tournament. Brazil is going to win the tournament. I'm, I'm yeah. going to win. But um, I think the good thing about getting Brazil was that we avoid them in the second round. Now, the bad thing is that most likely if we if we go through, we'll meet them in the semifinals. So 
it's unlikely for us to get to the final this time. Uh, I mean, I, you can always have faith uh, with how Peru has played in the last uh, few years. It's always possible, but uh, if we meet Brazil anywhere along the line, I don't have, I won't have much faith at all because uh, we're not that, that, that sort of style that is to be Brazil away from home. That's more you give it to Uruguay or Paraguay. I got a charru, I got a Guarani. I don't see, I don't see uh, Peru having that style to be able to defeat Brazil away from home. And besides, I, I feel like. If we do beat Brazil, it's only going to be once. So if we do beat them, I'd rather be in the knockout stages. We've beaten Brazil more than once uh, for a team like Peru. It's difficult. Or more than once in a year, rather. I'm personally happy we're going to avoid Brazil in the second round. I think we have a good run to the semifinals. It really depends on our poor opponents in the second round. But I think it is favorable. And, um, yeah, as for the other two, Venezuela and Bolivia. Venezuela are obviously in an upward spiral. They have a lot of good young players. But I still think it's a bit too soon for them. I think that they they might go through a third place, but I think uh, well, we have, should have no problems with them. And uh, Bolivia in neutral, neutral ground usually don't do very well. So um, what do you guys think? I think so. Um, the, the, the problem is, though, is that because it's five months away, so much can change. But I think the positive thing is, if you look back to before the World Cup for Peru... One big reason why I think they struggled so much, at least to pick up the results and, and maybe grind out a win, is a lot of their starting players were out of form. Like, think about the players yes. who were coming in kind of cold, right? Trauco, Advincula didn't really finish the season well at Lobos, Edison Flores, um, you know, Christian Cueva wasn't really playing too much either. He had a good World Cup, don't get me wrong, but... Still came in cold, as did Andre Carrillo, but again, good World Cup. Paolo, we know the problems he had, and etc., etc., etc. This time around, a lot of Peruvian, those same Peruvian players who were kind of struggling entering the World Cup are currently in really good form, right? Even Miguel Trauco is, is playing well assisted yesterday, uh, which Brian tweeted out. If you haven't seen it, go check it out. It was actually yes, a very nice He has assist. two assists. He has two um, assists so far. In both, exactly. of the games, both of the games he started, he has two assists. Yes. So maybe that's a sign that things are going well for him, and therefore it might end up going well for him in the next few months, therefore leading to a strong display at Copa America. But again, five months is a long time. We know that a lot of players' form can can really differ from week to week. But if the players can kind of stay on this trajectory, then I think Peru stands a very good chance of making it to a semifinal. And maybe if they face Brazil, and let's say Neymar's foot injury is bothering him, who knows? But maybe a bit of a pipe dream at this point. Uh, I definitely agree with that. I think that um, the problem with the, at least the friendlies, like you said, they were not informed, like you said. But I also I also think that they're just friendlies. I mean, you got to think of – I always think of Chile. Like, Chile was in atrocious form right after their World Cup in 2014, right before the Copa America. I think they lost to Jamaica that year at home. Yeah, they did. So, yeah. so um, and then they went on to win a tournament. So, they're just friendlies. They're just experiments. And um, I think Peru will be fine. I think they're still a good team. I think that – I, I still I still think we're a good team. I still think we haven't regressed. Maybe a little bit without uh, the, def- the defensive, uh, I guess the defensive solidness of someone like Alberto Rodriguez, which we're going to miss a little bit. At the very least, we have a lot of good center backs. Uh, Abraham, is, I was looking earlier at some of the some of the players that, and some of the agencies. Uh, I'm not too convinced as Abraham's agent, but he does have an EU passport, so that really helps him for um, to get to get a move to Europe. And uh, I think that he could get a move to Europe after the Copa America. So um, then we have Santa Maria, who is, in my opinion, a sensational center back. The problem is, at least when it comes to Europe, he's not going to get a move because he's too old now. He's too unproven. And it's also a long way to go before uh, before the European clubs can convince him. By the time he might be playing at a big club, he's probably going to be 28. So I think he's going to stay in the Americas at this point. 
but he's a very good center back. And uh, he's had a bit of a rough start at Atlas, but he's on an upward spiral. So yeah, he's been a lot better now, which is good. Yeah, he started off kind of rough from what uh, the early games I've seen. He was kind of shaky, but he's getting a lot better. He was clearing the last thing of the week, so that's always a good sign. All right, well, let's get let's let Kevin get some more in depth opinions. I mean, as far as as far as the players, definitely they they look like they're getting more minutes. They should be more fit for this, and and Gareca's good with with managing that time. You know, like that one, th- two, three weeks right before a tournament, getting everyone right into form. But what I wanted to talk about was the was the fixture. I think we we face Venezuela, Bolivia, and then Brazil. Yeah, correct. So, yes. So th- there's no reason to not get out of this group, with all respect, you know, to, to our opponents. <laughs> but we, even as even as best third. But what, what I'm saying is we got to wrap up those first two matches, Venezuela and Bolivia. However, you know, if you need to grind out a result, if I, I saw Bolivia and I expect them to to park the bus. On us. I think people have seen that that's been very effective against us. And I think that those are the two main matches to wrap up. Yes. Well, first of all, I did want to say something. Uh, something that's been bothering me a little bit. And I think Peter knows where it is. Uh, so basically, got a few questions, guys. Can we just just forget about Raymond Manco, okay? Please, <laughs> please forget about it. He's not going to get called up. Gareca says Gareca said that he is observing him. You uh, can stop asking. He's not going to call him up. Let's forget about that. I want to see that for Darcy Lasso talk, but like, just stop asking him. He's not going to call him up. End. Okay. Hey, I won't. I won't count him out since he's doing pretty well in your. What was it? Your ten year. The aren't you doing like an FM thing? See what the league. Oh yes, like? yeah, yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> uh, I, I, yeah, yeah. No, Raymond Marco is uh, is the manager in Lianza. As a manager, <laughs> maybe he's okay, but as a player, I don't want him anywhere near the national team. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah. I guess the next question, and this is a question that uh, we've asked pretty much every time uh, Prudent Call Up is coming up. Who will be the the, the interesting call up? Uh, who, who will be the call-up that you people will not expect that will go to the Copa America or at least be part of the preliminary squad? Now, obviously, in 2016, uh, there was a big change. We saw a lot of uh, we saw a lot of different players, including the, some of the preliminary squad, including like Julio Landauri, who I have no idea what Gareca was thinking by then, but um, he was on preliminary squad. But that's kind of what I'm going at. Who do you who do you see in the squad that uh, it will be a shock call-up? Uh, let's just get make a few uh, bold predictions. I mean, there are obviously a lot of possibilities here, but I think it obviously depends on, I think, who really starts out strongly in the league. I could see someone domestically getting that call up. And for me, only because he actually was called up but then pulled out with an injury back in November. Uh, Brian, you're going to love this. It could be Alexis Arias. Um, yes. It's clear that Gareca values him highly. I think he is the perfect vice Yotun, which we've both talked about. Uh, both in terms of playing style and and if you just look at the stats, they're very similar. And he's obviously on his radar, otherwise he wouldn't have been called up in November. If it wasn't for that injury, he probably would have would have ended up starting the match in Arequipa against Costa Rica, let's be perfectly honest. So I think that if he has a strong start to the season, it could end up being him for at least the March friendlies. And then if he keeps it going and he performs well, let's say he does get called up in March, performs admirably in that window, that probably boosts his chances of making the Copa America squad. So that will be my one bold prediction. Okay, three. They're not exactly bold, but they're kind of players that I do expect to see in the Copa America squad, but I haven't exactly cut in before. 
One of them is self-explanatory. The other two are players that we've only seen call, uh, brief call-ups. Alexis Aires and Marcon Lopez. I think if Lopez starts uh, uh, at San Jose, which I think he will, yeah. and he does well, then uh, I think he I think uh, he should be in the squad for the Copa America. Of course, he was supporting the U20s, which we'll talk about a little bit later, but uh, I, I just think it was poor advantage there. But I think at San Jose, if he has a good start, then he will be called up for the Copa America, uh, at least for the preliminary squad. Alexis Arias, I pretty much echo what Peter said. And the last the last call, it's always why they get called up, but Gabriel Costa is another example. Yeah. If, if, he does, if he does well, if he does well in the in the Chilean league, which not not a good start for him, even if it's just friendlies. But apparently he's been a bit arrogant. I, I blame it on the press who were selling him out to be a Lionel Messi. And that's what the Colombian press said about him. Literally, the headline was the Uruguayan the Chilean sell as Lionel Messi. That was the Colombian kind of quote in the headline. But if it's true, uh, Costa's got to get a realistic factor to him because he's good, but he's you gotta remember his numbers are in the Peruvian league and he's taking a step up. So we'll see how he does in the Chennai League. But he's another one that will call up. He needs to be in the March finals at least. Because it's just the start of the Chennai League and it's so early. So he needs to be there at least, I think. And um, Kevin, yes, what do I say, Peter? Sorry, can confirm the Caracol headline is correct. That is exactly <laughs> what it is. Okay, uh, so Kevin, what, what, what would you say? So the first one I was gonna say was, was Costa. So I, I agree with you on that one. Uh, his numbers were were pretty brutal for for Cristal. He was definitely one of the their main men. If you know, it was for for Cristal, it was neck and neck between who was more important. You know, Herrera, Costa, and I, I definitely see him getting a a shout in the March friendlies. But another guy that I would I would bet you know five cents on is is Canchita Gonzalez. I I mean he was just called up. And he seems to be very um, more polyfunctional. He can he can you know play on the left, he could play as a ten if we needed. Um, and I feel like we haven't had like a natural like sub to Flores in a while, so he could be that guy. Absolutely. Now, um, I, I guess there's not much else to say before we conclude the Copa America section. I just want to get a point out, and this is not really Peru related, but uh, I, I want to get a point out that it's interesting to see that the two Asian sides are both in the Asian Cup final. Including Qatar, Qatar haven't conceded a single goal in the uh, Asian Cup. But Japan, I can see Japan sending a weaker squad. I, I, it's possible, like Mexico do. I mean, it's on the other side of the world that they just play the Asian Cup. They're gonna play in the final. But Qatar, I think they're gonna want to prove a point. So I think Qatar kind of rolls in this first squad, and they have a few interesting players. I'm not gonna talk about them much, but I just want to get out Ali Almoes. What a player he is! The 22 year old forward from Qatar is is really is really really good. I, I can see him. I, can, I, can, I see a bright future for him. But this is not the Qatar football podcast. I just wanted to get that point out, kind of just like to end, conclude the whole America sector. The more this, I guess we move on not to the more disappointing sector, the more disappointing sectors, because it's not just the U20s that's disappointed. But we're gonna start with them. I'm sorry, we left off right after the Paraguay match, I believe, and uh, since then we lost both games. Although since then Peru played a lot better. Ecuador was at the support defending. Argentina was let down by just uh, rushing the, the place and then leaving the few men behind. There was also really bad decision making in the Argentina game. Uh, we dominated that game, but there was like there was not many, very many strong chances for Peru. It's kind of like the World Cup game against France. It, like we dominated it, but there wasn't much uh, to get excited about because there's not there's not a lot of strong chances. Kevin, I'll let you go first. If there are any positives to take from the G20. I think that they they came from from less to more. They they basically 
needed to build up their confidence to to start playing their style. We we saw it more against Ecuador. Unfortunately, that was our highest margin of loss, but you actually saw them playing, touching the ball, getting into dangerous positions. Mora was finally shining. Uh, unfortunately, Ecuador is, is probably the, the most lethal side up front in this whole tournament. And then against Argentina, there was there was a good shout. To, we had good possession, transitions. It just, it didn't click fast. No, it was like the senior side. <laughs> in my opinion, I think that uh, our best game was against Ecuador because against Ecuador, we actually looked like we were, create, we were creating things. Because Argentina, the decision-making was so poor that it just, it was, it was all... Any chances to try and win the game were pretty much obsolete. So the best player for me in the whole tournament, or not the best player, the most consistent player was Sebastián González, who really surprised me. Uh, I thought like he never had any bad or good games. He played well in some games, but he never had any bad game particularly. Uh, Mora was part of the highest level player, but he did have uh, he did play poorly against Argentina and Uruguay. So I wouldn't say he was the most consistent. And Emil Franco was also pretty good, although the Ecuador game he did. He was badly positioned for a few of the goals. So, um, yeah, Peter, what, what, what would you say about the G20? What positives would you take? What negatives? What worries you? And what uh, gives you faith? Oh, boy. Where do I start on the negatives? I'll start with the positives first because I feel like that'll be the shortest part of my answer. Um, you mentioned Franco there kind of standing on his head. I do still have some issues with his technique. You did mention that he was out of position for a couple of those goals against Ecuador. Um, he also doesn't really seem to have like very good awareness. Uh, a ball, I believe, it was against Argentina. Actually, it sailed over his head. It smacked the corner of the of the like the crossbar in the post, and then luckily went out. But I was kind of thinking to myself, why didn't you actually follow the ball and try to claim it or, or knock it out? Because you never know in that situation. But certainly, it was good to see a goalkeeper for Peru at least stand out in some way because I think that was the one area of concern for the team entering that tournament. So it was good to see him at least shining in some moments. Uh, also, Franco Medina, I think in the final two games, I mean, he was fantastic. Uh, certainly an upgrade on, on Rojas. Uh, it's hard to do worse, but um, he actually had a proper first touch. He was getting in good positions. Defensively, he was a rock. Let's maybe chill a little bit on the, oh, he's the future right back of, of La Selección because... <laughs> He is not even a guaranteed starter for Alianza, so let's calm down a little bit on that. But certainly did do very well in those final two games against one, a very good opponent, and then number two against a not-so-great opponent, but at least did show himself well. In terms of the negatives, so a, a bit of backstory. Before this tournament, I was talking to my dad about all these players that Peru has in this under-20 squad and how much talent there is. And he wanted to watch the games. So after the third game, I believe it was against Ecuador, actually. And he's saying to me, he's like, are you sure these players are as good as you think they are? Because I am, and he's, and he doesn't follow them at all. Like he relies on me to update him on these things. And I'm like, yes, trust me. They're very good. He's like, do they play professionally? Yes, they do. They, most of them are regulars with their teams. And it was honestly baffling to see a group this talented who can play so poorly with, with such lackluster attack like this. And to me, I'm not someone who likes to really rely on this because I feel like it's a very English way of thinking because um, they love personalities and charisma, especially from their managers. But Daniel Ahmed is someone who does not really strike me as a guy who can really like motivate young players. You watch his press conferences and I almost fall asleep. 
So imagine getting a team talk from this guy when you're down 2-0 and, and you need to get back into the game. I, I mean, I'm sure for the players, it's kind of like, ah, okay, well, whatever. And tactically, we all know that he's very limited. And I think we saw that in the build-up to the tournament. This was a team that had a very similar playing style to what the senior team does because Gadeka wants everybody from the U15s all the way up to the senior team to play a similar system and style. For a year leading up to the tournament, whenever we saw the, the micro cycles, Peru did that. The tournament starts, it's completely abandoned, which made zero sense to me. I can understand it for one game like Uruguay when you probably think you're going to be outclassed, but pretty much the rest of the tournament outside of moments against Ecuador, you didn't really see that style of play implemented. And the issues that were plaguing them in every game, such as the opposition exploiting the flanks whenever Peru's fullbacks pushed up, that never got solved. There was zero midfield in the first two games, which was a huge issue. And there was no dynamism or off-the-ball movement in, in, in the attacking third. It, it was really, really shocking considering the amount of talent on this team. It's positive to see that Ahmed is not going to be sticking around as coach, at least if you believe certain reports. But, you know, he had such a talented group at his disposal, it's pretty inexcusable for him not to get more out of this group. Yeah, there's two things that annoy me a lot. First of all, Christopher Anibares. Now, he did not play well with Paraguay. I think that is a, a given for us. The thing that annoyed me is that I made seem to completely erase him right after that first game because I was expecting Olivares to come on as a sub, maybe re-impress like, uh, like he did with Mora, but uh, he didn't. He didn't come on as a sub in any of the games. He only played that one game against Paraguay, and that's it. He didn't come on as a sub. I know the league, he, um, he sometimes uh, is a little bit arrogant. He, he tries to do little flexing tricks instead of scoring goals, but he's still a very talented player, and I think he deserved more of a chance. Just because he had one bad game doesn't mean he shouldn't have gotten a chance. Now, that now that's not really contradicting me because I think Gonzalez set out short a lot this season. Or not this season, but this uh, tournament, rather. But you could at least put a second forward, at least in Argentina, we most needed it. So um, then there's uh, the other thing that annoyed me was Dylan Caro. Now, Dylan Caro is a good player for Union Guadal, and he, can probably has, he probably has a future in the Premier Division. The problem is the Segunda Division is almost an amateur league, let's be fair. Oh, yeah. I mean, that might be excusable in the U17s and U15s where everyone's still playing at youth level. But uh, in the U20s, most players are already playing professionally. And uh, Dylan Caro, uh, he goes from playing against Juturas and Tarrosa to play against players from Boca Juniors or River Plate. And that's just unfair. Like, I, I don't think he was the right choice for this one. I mean, like, yeah, like I said, I have seen him a few times for what I, and I do think he's a good player. But I don't think he was uh, re I don't think he was ready for this kind of tournament. And it really showed where he was, he was beaten pretty much all the time by all, all every single team. So I think that uh, that is something that uh, does worry me a little bit. I, I agree with everything Peter said. Kevin, do you have anything else to say before we move on? So I, I think that uh, Ahmed is actually, he's a good administrator. Like he's he's yeah. done pretty good work, you know, scouting and in the yes. provinces and, and bringing more people to, you know, to, to the professional teams to, and promoting, you know, the more youth divisions like uh, U13, U15. Like, but I, I guess he was he was lacking a bit in the maybe in the dressing room or maybe in motivating his team because I think they had an idea. I think they had plenty of friendlies with with decent results. I think we saw over like the course of the year. So something had to have fallen apart during the tournament, and I think. That whether whether or not you know he has a contract for the 
the rest of the year or, or longer, maybe we could look at at, a, at another coach with that has more success with younger sides, like maybe San Martin's coach uh, Bustos, since he has like half of the, the team anyway. <laughs> <laughs> just, just throwing that out there. <laughs> it's, a good, it's a good suggestion. I mean, when you have half the team, you already know the players. Might as well, right? And I, I mean, we, we took Cant- uh, Silvestri from Cantolau for the U-17. Yeah, so. yeah. That, that is one thing that does uh, that does get me a little bit excited, but I'll, I'll get onto more of that another time. So that, that's it for me as far as the, the U-20s. I think the kids still have uh, potential, especially in first yes. division. But uh, it was it was a little bit disappointing to see them not click in this tournament. Yeah, no, very much so. And uh, I also wanted to say that uh, and this this kind of transitions us to the next little bit, which I guess here when we saw him a step up, no last minute goal. So you know what? At least we didn't see that. <laughs> and that transitions us to the next bit. Peter, what? There's a special day next week. Yes, there is actually. Next week. Um, next week is Groundhog Day. Yeah. Peru's favorite holiday. Peruvian football's favorite holiday. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well. Um, Let's go over and see that so first little wide. We already before we go to the interview, I did not. I was not able to see the little wide goal because I was invited to eat some chifa uh, with my family. So uh, I stopped watching on the seventy fifth minute. Got the got the game elsewhere uh, on the radio, and then the thing cut out right before the last minute goal. So I saw, I look at the group and see that uh, I see that Joe said, "Oh no, choke!" And then I'm like, "What happened?" And I, I thought it was a penalty, but no, they scored. And um, then later I saw the goal, and uh, yeah, it was a pretty bad mistake from Dulato, who, let's be fair, we praised him a lot. He is a good player, but he's been on a downward spiral since Tabaresio joined. He's not been the same player. If Tabaresio sticks around, he might improve again, but he has been on a downward spiral, unfortunately. And um, yeah, he cost Garcia some game, although uh, I never understood this program entirely that they had to sit back after the second goal. I mean, they could have gone, they could have easily gone for the third goal and liquidated it. Uh, that's that's why I think. I mean, I know I know it's always risky, but sometimes attack can be the best form of defense. So, like all they all they're really was keep the ball and link with it again. They start they scored the second goal. I think in like the 70th minute. I don't remember exactly the minute they scored in, but they had like 20 minutes to do something else. I mean, they score in the 75th minute. You could have at least gone for another one, but if you let you let yourself let them score in the last minute of the game, there's no chance you can get back into it. So that's what annoyed me the most. Now, as for the tie itself. Uh, I think Garcia did show some signs of being promising, but they still lack something. I'm not sure what it is, to be honest. I think Carando, I think the new signings have, not just Carando, but I think the new signings have looked impressive. But I think Garcia is going to have a big campaign in the league. Uh, but yeah, this is very disappointing. And uh, their, their, their front office is probably not very happy right now. I'll say that much. Yeah, definitely. Um, they, and they're not known for their patience. So. <laughs> <laughs> so I wouldn't be surprised if uh, if we don't see the Garcilaso's coach last too long. But I, I, I kind of hope he doesn't. He's a very average coach, but I, at the very least, we gotta give him some time. Of course, yeah, of, of yeah course. we do. The proof is wrong. Garcilaso, to me, they lost this game in La Huayra last week. Yes, this yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's so obvious that they had numerous chances, especially in the first half, to pull ahead, even if. They had just gotten the nil-nil draw. Okay, that's not a great result when you're the away team and you're going back home. But considering your home is in Cusco, where basically you're up one nil before the game even starts because of the altitude, that wouldn't have been a terrible result to take back. 
yes, the new signings need to be bled in a little bit more. They need to get used to the system and whatnot. Obviously, Tapia is the, a new coach, so he's got to get his style across, which takes a few months. So Garcia also might end up maybe around like April, May, really start hitting their stride. But they still had plenty of opportunities to win that game in La Huida. N- never mind be able to hold on to a 2-0 lead and, and, and be able to advance. They had 13 shots in the first game, which was level with La Huida. And I believe the vast majority of those came in the first half. But the problem is when your two attacking strategies are knocking it long to Carando or pumping in crosses to Carando versus a deep block, you're not going to get very good results. That doesn't mean don't play a counterattacking style. That doesn't mean knock it long. Uh, or sorry, that doesn't mean don't knock it long because obviously you want to tire out the opposition, especially when La Huida were just coming back from La Paz and we're not at all used to playing at, at sea level, basically. Um, but you, you have to have a little more improvisation. Um, Ramua, to me, was just looking for that killer through ball way too many times when I think just keeping possession and passing it around and tiring out the opposition might have been the way to go. But it's just so classic that the one time Dulanto commits that slip, it's in the final minute, and of course the ball from a tight angle becomes a goal with one minute to go. Like, it, it's just, you can't write this stuff sometimes. Like, I was honestly chuckling to myself at my office watching that last-minute goal go in. I'm just thinking, of, of course, that Gustavo Dulanto will slip in that very exact moment. I'm like, it wouldn't be Peruvian football without a moment like that. I'm sorry. It, it was Groundhog Day all over again. Absolutely, yes. It came, it, came a week, it came a week early, I have to say. And next week, Melgar plays, so maybe we'll have an actual Groundhog Day moment. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, um, yeah, Garcilaso were Overall, Garcilaso were unconvincing to the two legs. But at the same time, we can't read too much into that because, uh, at least not for the league, uh, you got to think that Venezuelan football has started. Peruvian football still starts in two weeks. So uh, I, I do. Well, I guess it won't affect Melgar too much. I'll get into that when uh, we get there. But uh, uh, Garcia Silva's the white did affect him a little bit. I think. I, I think they looked good for what it's worth. At least I thought that he was able to rectify the error of uh, Joel Herrera playing in this, not playing in the second leg because yeah, he, he had no reason to start in the first leg to begin with. All right, uh, Kevin, what do you think of the game? Oh, I haven't let you talk yet. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm just calling and thinking, yo. Sometimes proving teams are just cursed. <laughs> it's just <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know what we did to the Libertadores for them to <laughs> to feel this way towards us. But uh, while while obviously Dulanto's thing is is unfortunate last second, I think I'd be more more mad at Carando since he's actually oh, yeah. the he's supposed to be their goal scorer. He's supposed to be the one that has it in the bag for them. He's their big signing. And this guy gets gets a red in what 50, 60th minute, something Not like that. Not even 39th minute, I think it was. Oh, yeah, for an elbow. Not ideal at all when uh, when you're chasing uh, a goal in in an important game. Yeah, I th- I think they they were level at that point. He had just gotten a, a goal like knocked off, uh, discounted for offside. Tarsilaso was hot. I thought they were gonna just keep pumping, you know, the the, the Venezuelan defense, and then out of nowhere red card and i just i could i could see it all turning into the story we've seen so many times <laughs> well the, the, the thing the, the other thing i wanted to note and uh, then we can move on to Melgar versus um the, the chile the other thing i wanted to note is that 
they're gonna see that. So after Manco's goal, which is a really good goal, by the way, I credit where it's due. I, I don't I think Manco is not that good, but he credit where it's due. Like he that was a very good goal. That was oh, an yeah. intelligent goal. He saw a keeper on his line and he hit it spectacularly. But um after that goal, uh Garcia doesn't really let the wider back into it. Before that they were totally dominant, but it seems that they got a lot of complacent or they, they wanted to enforce penalties or something. I don't know what the deal was, but the Wilder did get back into that after the goal. Then the red card happened, and then the second half, uh, it was kind of the same story, but they had the moments of dominance, like uh, like always. And I do think that um, uh, Garcia could have done more. Like I said, they really should have liquidated the game when it was 2-0. They should have tried to score the third goal. It was definitely possible, especially after Swano's red card. They have it themselves, really. This is the third year in a row that Peruvian goes out in the first round. Why always awesome? It's a classic Peruvian way. Like Peter said, you can't make this stuff up. Nope, you cannot. Okay, well, anyways, Melgar versus Chile now. Uh, I am a little bit more optimistic than I would have been a few weeks ago now because, one, the Chileans are very pessimistic about their own team this season. Two, they lost Jefferson Sotelo. I believe he was going to be in. No, he's not injured. Uh, he's not injured at all, but he, he would have been in this clash. So they lost Jefferson Sotelo, so that's an R+. And a three, and this is kind of just a theory. Like it's, it's not. It doesn't mean it's true in any way. It doesn't mean that it's going to happen. But Peruvians have lost like what the last fifteen matches in the Libertadores. Uh, I think this sixteen and seventeen is the lucky charm. I think this is the time <laughs> the Peruvians. It has to be. No, but oh. it's seriously. It's seriously I've lost a lot of players. I do think that they, they can do something here. Well, the Chile are weaker from are weaker than uh, I think the Chileans are rightly pessimistic because they don't seem to have the best things about them this season. And um, yeah, I'm gonna I'm not gonna have my faith. I don't have a lot of faith anyways because the proven sides they lose all the time and and I, I'm just not too optimistic. But I'm more optimistic than I would have been a few weeks ago. So yeah, hopefully they're gonna finally break the Libertadores drought. They finally gotta win again again. Uh, I, I think they'll do. I think they will win at home, just away from home. That I'm not sure if they're gonna get, uh, if they're gonna lose the tie or not. So, what do you guys think? Well, here's the thing: we all have followed Peruvian football for the majority of our lives. I think it's safe to say, right? We all know how this is going to end, don't we? Like, it, it doesn't matter what situation Melgar is in; they're going to lose in a heartbreaker. Like, like we, we know this is going to happen. I know both sides aren't really all there. Uh, offensively, I know that both sides kind of have their problems in those areas because um, they both lost some very key players. Obviously, Canchita for Melgar, um, a couple of other ones as well. I, I believe Tony Echemaite left. Yeah, um, Arce, Arce. And Patricio Arce just, just recently left. So I, I, say, I say Melgar really just lost depth because I still think they have a very strong starting 11, but to me, they just lost depth. I think, yeah. that, I think that they're going to have struggle with the backups, but uh, they, they definitely, at the very least, they have a starting 11. But, I mean, and also the positive news is that both teams do have new coaches. Frank Kudelka came in from Talleres to Ude Chile. Um, that is, that, I, I did see that. That is a good appointment. That is a very good appointment. Um, so they, but both sides do have new coaches, obviously, which I think might be a bit of an X factor for both of them. At the end of the day, Kudelka is a little more, I don't want to say battle-tested, especially in the Libertadores, but... Who the Chile's players for the vast majority are like they've been in that situation before recently. Um, Baltaso, he hasn't had a lot of experience, if any, as a manager, like as the main guy. So you wonder how he'll fare in, on such a big stage, especially because Melgar does have a very passionate fan base in Arequipa. Um, so there will be pressure there. 
really there isn't a lot separating these sides, which is what makes it so difficult to predict. But being a follower of Peruvian football for so long, I feel like Melgar is going to end up losing it through some freak accident or something. So, <laughs> I mean, there's really no point in, in getting optimistic because we know how the story ends. Could see Casada channeling his inner Fernandez. <laughs> yes. exactly. All right, Kevin, what do you think of the game? What do you think of this game? I don't know too much about with Chile right now. I haven't. I knew about Soteldo that he wasn't going to be for this match. Um, aside from that, I seen Melgar lose quite a few players, so it's 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 question marks on my end. I I'm hoping for the best as always, but uh, that that's all I got for this game. <laughs> right. Well, um, I I think it's going to be an interesting clash. I wanted to mention something, and uh, this is the first Libertadores that Melgar played in years, many many years, without Nilson Bayona. That could be a positive. <laughs> could be a positive because he's he's been he's been the weak link in the Libertadores for a long time, and uh, now he's not there. So maybe maybe Melgar better now. Who knows? Yeah, possibly. Who knows? Maybe, maybe that was what was cursing them. Nilson Loyola with the curse. <laughs> maybe maybe I just I just don't think that he was uh, ready for that sort of situation. Maybe he'll impress a Goyas, like I said, but I don't have much faith in him. But no. Um, I'm not gonna make any predictions for this one because I I want I, I feel like Melgar can do it, but at the same time I always feel that these teams can do it and they just don't. So um, let's end the pod there. Uh, my name is B underscore. Or my name is Brian Birdie. I'm B underscore Birdie ninety eight on Twitter. Uh, Kevin, what is your Twitter? Mine is K Montalvan seven. Okay, okay. Uh, Peter, what are yours in the Peruvian walls? Yes, you can follow me at Galindo PW and follow the Peruvian Waltz at Peru Waltz and uh, also subscribe on YouTube, iTunes, SoundCloud, all the platforms that we are on. I'm sure you guys know by now. Absolutely. Okay. Thank you for listening. And uh, this is the Peru Waltz and we're signing off. Corrubiños en el arco, la defensa es colosal. González, Orlando, La Torre, Nicolás, Fuentes y Chumpitas. Chale, Mifrin y Cubillas y el gran Pericoleón. Bailón y Alberto Gallardo completan la selección.